Welcome to the only podcast for piano teachers just starting out, Piano Teacher Primer. My name is Angela Toon. Keep listening for the prime pro tips you can use with your own students right away. Three frequently asked questions from piano parents. So I get these questions quite often and not just from my own piano parents, the parents of my own students, but also just friends of mine ask me these things all the time. Oh, you're a piano teacher. What do you recommend? So I will go through these three FAQs and I'll first just tell you what they are and then we'll go through each one quickly and give you just a couple of options for what to think about as you answer these questions if you are asked. So number one, what age to start a child in piano lessons? Number two, what do you charge? Number three, what books do I get? Or what books do you use? So what age to start a child in piano lessons? Well, the answers vary from teacher to teacher. One teacher also may change your mind over time. I have one teacher friend who for many, many years would only start them after first grade or whatever, would start them a little older. And then lately she says, I've been teaching preschoolers and loving it. So we can change our minds at any time, no worries. But just a few things to think about. Also, if you if there's a need in your area uh, for a certain population, like if there's a lot of beginners and you want to teach beginners, then um, you might wanna start a little younger or if you want to start them younger than other teachers and parents want that, then great. Or if you wanna focus on older students, on students who have already learned the notes and then you can just take them beyond the notes or whatever, or you can teach just intermediate or just advanced students. So it kind of goes back to the episode where we talked about decisions to make before starting to teach piano. So you can use a certain age as a certain population that you wanna focus on that you wanna teach. Also, the personalities of children vary a lot. I had one student who was not even five. She was still four. And she was more focused than another student that I had that was age seven. I told that family, let's wait a year. And the five-year-old, four still, she just was rocking it and just doing awesome. And by 30-minute lesson, she was definitely done. Her focus was starting to wane. But it was interesting to see how just the totally different ages there were totally different personalities. Um, So I think that's one of the biggest things is if they can focus for the entire lesson. But if you throw games in and 30 second activities, you can help a younger child maybe to focus a little longer. So some reasons you might want to start preschool age students or students who are not really quite reading yet. They're so dang cute. They're so fun. They're just happy with life and I just get really excited for little kids. Um, And practicing, if you start them younger, is always a part of life. And this is for the parents and the child. Starting them younger, they may not even remember not practicing the piano. And that can be a real advantage. Um, Their fingers are tiny, so they're still building strength, but starting younger, maybe they build that strength sooner. 
And again, there's personality differences. I did have one kindergartner who was just too silly. I, I did keep her, but I can roll with it, you know, but um, after an all-day kindergarten year or all-day first grade, they're used to pleasing a teacher and wanting to do it right. And so that really is helpful for me as a piano teacher if they want to do it right. And they don't just want to bang on the piano or do something silly only. Um, one reason you may not want to start students that are pre-reading is they may move slower, which can be kind of fine, but it also can be kind of drudgery. So um, that's just another thing to keep in mind. Some teachers say if a student starts in kindergarten, let's say, or if they start in first grade, by third grade, they might be in the same place. So there's that to keep in mind. I, I don't have any specific studies on that. Um, and again, the, the personalities vary so greatly that I don't have any data on that. But I'll just share with you what some have shared with me. I usually say that I take students who can read. And here's some of the reasons why. Um, if they can even read somewhat and not like full sentences or anything, if they're still kind of sounding out, they can maybe move a little more quickly. They can possibly read and answer some questions on the page, or at least with a little bit of help. Um, and then sometimes if they're a little older, we can actually skip pages. I didn't used to do this. I feel kind of like a rebel. But if they sight read a piece and they do everything and they can figure it out, sometimes we skip it and we go on to the next one. Don't tell. Okay. Also, notes move left to right like words. I've had kindergartners who try to tell me that the notes are going down when they're actually going up because they're kind of seeing the notes as going right to left. But if they're reading already, then it kind of helps with the notes moving left to right like words do. It's just never an issue because they're used to reading that way. And another reason is there might be words written in their pieces. And so they can sing along while they play. This helps with rhythm. Um, I don't require it for every student. Well, I guess I do early on. Early on, I do have all students say. I tell them you can say or sing because some kind, sometimes they don't want to sing, but they might say um, the words with the music. And it helps with continuity, helps them to... Uh, connect with the rhythm. For instance, if there's a half note and the word with the half note is day, I might have them sing day A and put two beats in one word, for example. So sometimes you can use the words to help with rhythm in addition to counting and things like that. So final thoughts, children learn through play. And so you as a teacher can just decide how you want to play with your students, setting up little games for them to test them through the different concepts that you're teaching and to just have, have fun. And then they know that piano is fun. Um, another thing to keep in mind are these early music classes. If you've heard of kinder music or let's play music, or I have some piano friends who've created their own and it's so amazing. How many musical concepts young, young preschool three and four age children can absorb before they actually are 
mature enough maybe for a traditional piano lesson. So those can be super valuable. I've had students who did those programs before and I do think that they have an advantage uh, with a lot of things, rhythm and, and high and low notes and their ears are just developed. So anyway, it's something to keep in mind. And would you join the conversation on Instagram? Find the post for this episode. And let me know in the comments what age you like to start students and why. I love to hear different opinions on these things. Okay, number two, what do you charge? Sometimes this is the first question that parents ask when they're looking for piano lessons. And I sometimes think it shouldn't be. I sometimes think it would be better if we found a match of a teacher first and then we find out what we charge? I don't know. I guess it's part of the information that they need as they make their decisions. Um, but not only what to charge, but how to charge. So I'll talk about that first. Um, you can have students pay for each lesson. That gets kind of annoying for parents. Um, you can have the parents pay once a month, once a semester, once a year. I would say most teachers charge once a month. And there's like a monthly payment or a monthly tuition and many teachers just have it be a tuition and they don't let anyone know or they don't have like a set this is the per lesson rate because as we know piano teaching includes a lot more than just our time teaching the students there's preparation time there's communication there's prepping the recital programs there's figuring out music hundreds of things we do behind the scenes so I do like that idea of a tuition and parents are used to it. They, play, they pay a tuition for dance. They pay a tuition for, um, for soccer. I guess it's not called tuition, but anyway. So uh, I used to do lots of different things. Um, I used to have parents pay at the beginning of the month for all the lessons in that month. Uh, the problem is sometimes there's fewer weeks or there's a holiday or there's five weeks in a month and so sometimes parents would not pay because they didn't know what to pay. So I think having it the same every month is very valuable. Here's how I like to do that. I have a semester system. So monthly payment each month covers a certain number of private lessons that I offer and then there's a couple extra weeks in there. So if, so if they're sick, if they're out of town, if I'm out of town, then we can make that work by the end of the semester so that they can just have an extra lesson in December if they haven't had their certain amount yet. And then if they have had all their lessons by first week of December, they get or second week of December, whichever it comes out then they can have a week off. And nobody minds a week off right before Christmas, right? So, um, and then same thing for January to May. There's a couple extra weeks, and then the, the monthly payment is the same every month. So, anyway, I did not want to put specific numbers of what to charge on this podcast because worldwide, nationwide, different state, even within a state, even within a city, there's going to be a wide range of charging prices. So there are some things to keep in mind here as, as you're deciding what to charge. Um, it's totally fine, I think, to ask teachers around your area what they charge and to 
and to um, just start to get an idea of the different the range in your area and you can also google this and you can also look on if you've heard of thumbtack i think it's an app and you can find like people to hire for different jobs and you can search on thumbtack like piano teachers um, and what the average is in there and you can ask other families if if you have children you can ask other parents of, of the children that your kids are friends with and find out what they are paying and then and then you can start to decide you know where you want to be in that range um, Another thing that you could try, I learned this from Andrea Miller from Music Studio Startup. She had a little math equation. And if you're teaching full time, could you support yourself? And maybe that's not completely teaching 40 hours a week, I would go insane. But if it was like 40 hours, including the behind the scenes stuff that I mentioned, maybe. Pretend I was single and had to support myself. Like, um, like add it all up and think of that yearly income, what it would be, and could I support myself on that? So that's another interesting equation that you could try. And set goals for yourself and increase your prices when you reach those goals. If you get a certification, for sure, bump up your prices at that point. If you get an upgraded instrument, for sure, bump up your prices at that point. Um, inflation, yes, that is real. And then if you offer something different than other teachers, it might not be that you're a better teacher or worse or something, but if you have a different experience that parents are willing to pay more for, like if you're a jazz teacher or if you do um, some group experiences or if you focus on a certain um, age or something, then go for it. If parents are willing to pay, then go for it. My one teacher friend, she intentionally doubled her prices so that she would lose students. <laughs> she was hoping to teach fewer students. She was getting a little bit overwhelmed. And guess what happened? She doubled her prices and all of her students stayed. They were all willing to pay for her. So let's upgrade our profession, everyone. This is like, this is like a premier experience. This is private lessons, one-on-one. -on -one. So go ahead and charge what you're worth. Um, if you look into private tennis lessons or, or private um, soccer training or something, like it is pricey. So, and let's not forget, every year that you teach piano, your experience gains and grows and we trial and error with different students and we get way better as teachers every year. I don't raise my prices every year, but every several years, I raise my prices and, and you should too. And final question, what books do I get? Again, there is so much out there, the opinions vary greatly, and I have a whole video on this on my online course. It's also called Piano Teacher Primer. You can find it at angelatune.com. And I have a whole review of common method books, supplementary composers that I like, and how to navigate all the many options out there. Um, but I'll just say a few things here to help you answer this question. There's no perfect method series. Um, there's gonna be things that you like from one or things that you like from another or one that matches one student and one that matches another. And you just decide what you're willing to trade off. 
Also, if a family already owns the books of a certain method, like they had an older sibling that went through all of these books, rather than having them purchase a whole nother series, I will usually just use the method that they have, or I might start them in a different one and then move them to the one that they already own. I like starting with a mix of rote teaching and the foundation of learning to read the notes at the same time. So you can play around with that. If you're getting bored of teaching, you may wanna just change up the music that you use. And please, please, please include classical music. It's not boring like most of the world may think. I've even done whole recitals called Soiree Classique, and we did all classical music, even the little kids, all original form, written for piano, classical and it's so amazing to show these families that classical music is very dynamic and fun and wonderful and there's a reason that it's lasted for all of these years can you imagine creating something and then hundreds of years later it's still being used and then for having students choose their pieces I will often give them a choice of three like a recital piece or uh, Christmas or other holiday songs or things like that, I will give them a choice of three things. I'll play them three things in their level and then they can choose. Because if they have some buy-in, if they have some choice in the matter, then they will probably be more likely to practice it. And then I love doing recitals with themes and it just kind of helps with changing it up for myself and doing different, I mentioned the Soiree Classique, and again, in my course, I have a whole video on recitals, and I give you a few ideas of some of the themes that, that I have done, and, and again, if you would love to join the conversation on Instagram, find the post for this episode, and let me know some recitals that you have done, and give us each other some theme ideas. So I hope this podcast will help you navigate three of the most common questions that you might get from parents. And let me know what I missed on Instagram and let me know if there's some other questions that you get all the time that you'd like help answering. I would love to help you. So thank you so much and we will talk to you next time. This gives you the motivation you need to teach your own students and teach them well. I have more resources for beginning piano teachers, including an online course that I made with my own students in mind. It's also called the Piano Teacher Primer. Just head to my website, angelatune.com. That's T-O-O-N-E. Together, we'll change the world one student at a time. <laughs>